Let's be turning our Bibles back to the book of Job uh, this evening. Book of Job. We've been blessed to be able to look at Job from the standpoint of the friends that he he had who come and uh, brought him comfort. And then also um, be able to see what they were able to do for him. But also see where they went wrong in some places as well. Also, um, we were blessed to study last week from Job 42 and notice how Job had spoken uh, out of turn. He had spoken things that he should not have spoken. Uh, We can certainly, uh, if anybody in all of the history of man uh, could be understood to have a struggle, we can understand how Job would have struggled and even had... Um, as he confess, confesses in Job 42, he did lash out toward God in ways that he shouldn't. And God brings him back to um, reality, brings him back to the truth. And Job confesses his wrongdoings in Job 42. And it is so helpful for us to be able to look at these men of God in the Bible. The Bible is so true. It's so genuine because it... It brings us heroes, but it doesn't hide the weaknesses of the heroes. So we're able to learn so much uh, from Job and others uh, in Scripture. The theme of Job can be stated in a number of ways, but I, I like to say it like this. There is such a thing as unselfish devotion to God. I believe that's a great way of summing up the book of Job. There is such a thing as complete, selfless devotion to God. Notice in Job 1, uh, verses 9 and 10, Satan responds after God had said, Have you considered my servant Job, who's a blameless and upright man? Well, Satan comes back to God, Job 1, verse 9, and says, Does Job fear God? For not, for naught, for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. So God said, okay, let's just see about that. And Job proves that God is worthy of devotion and service just based on who He is. Whether he, you have great good blessings from God or whether things are, times are good or times are bad, God is worthy of our worship and devotion. In a sense, um, you know, some have a trophy case and they'll keep their trophies there and be able to go back and look at them uh, in a sense, God has a trophy case and Job is one of those trophies. Job, God was extremely uh, considered of Job. God pointed to Job. Because when he asked Satan, where have you been? Satan says, I've been up and down throughout the earth doing my work. First thing God said was, have you considered my servant Job? So he was his trophy. In a sense, God was very proud of Job. He said, I want you to try Job. And Job proves that there is such a thing as complete selfless devotion to God. 
And that's where we want to be. And we're not there in a mature faith until we can be in that spot that Job proved uh, to be. And so our focus this evening will be in Job 2, mainly verses 9 and 10, because we're going to consider Job's wife. Job's wife. God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job, but he said, don't touch his life. He first said in chapter 1, you know, don't touch his body. But in chapter 2, Satan declared that if you allow me to touch Job's body, a man will do a lot for the skin of his own flesh. So God said, he is in your hand, only spare his life. But in all that Satan did against Job, he left Job's wife. What does that tell you, Paul? Do what? You better not say. Yeah. Better, better live on the housetop than live with a contentious woman? That is in Proverbs. That's right. Of course, the lesson is, beware of any gift that Satan leaves you. Isn't that true? Be, I mean, Satan left Job's wife. So beware when Satan leaves you a, a gift. But it's very instructive for us to look at the reaction of Job's uh, wife. We will see that Job's wife has a question and a statement. And then we'll see that Job responds with a statement and a question. I invite you to study this with us and also to make uh, comments that will help us in our study. So let's notice first Job's wife and notice, notice her question to Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Will you still retain your integrity? Okay. So someone explain to us, what, what do we mean, what does it mean to say integrity? How would you give a definition of integrity? And think about how it's used here. Being true to your word, that's excellent. Being honest without compromise. Being honest without compromise. Being true to your word, being honest without compromise. Okay, standing by your morals and not giving them up. Excellent. This is all involved in integrity. Being true to your word, being honest without compromise holding to your, to your morals, your ethical uh, principles, which uh, we would look at God, God's word being the, the base, basis and the standard of, our, of all our moral behavior and eth- ethics and so forth. Very good, very good. Okay. 
So uh, James is throwing in there that part of Job's integrity is that he has a, a strong reason to live, whereas his wife is saying, uh, curse God and die. But notice her question here, will you still, will you still uh, retain your integrity? Notice how uh, the conversation is between God and Satan here in chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 1. Job 2 verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil Notice what God says about Job. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. So in spite of all that Job lost according to chapter 1, he is still maintaining his integrity. We're able to see his faithfulness shine through. And Job's wife understands this. That's just part of her question. She admits or she implies by her question that Job has always been faithful to the Lord and that even through these rough times, losing his possessions, losing his children, and now his health has been afflicted from head to toe, he is still holding on. She said, do you still, after all of this, do you still maintain your integrity. She has a question for him. It reminds us of the Apostle Paul in so many regards because we read so many statements from Paul that though he was in prison and though he was afflicted on every side, yet he would often just say, I'm with the Lord. I'm with the Lord. We remember in Philippians 1, 20-23, he would say, uh, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And before that in Philippians 1.19, he said that in his body and in his life, Christ was going to be magnified, whether that would be by his life or by his death. Either way, Paul was going to be magnifying Christ through his life, no matter what happened. And so this is what Job is showing as well, he is still, he is still uh, retaining his integrity. Well, that's true, and probably we should have went ahead and said that, that that Job's wife is suffering herself, and she is seeing her husband suffer. And But at the same time, because we have been looking at the book of Job as a whole, we know, or maybe this is a good question, does the suffering of Job's wife 
provide an excuse for her lack of faith. Okay, so Ken says no. So you want to follow that up? Nothing gives us the excuse of not having faith in God. That's true. However, everyone has different has a different degree of faith. I mean, you know, we're not all at you know the same level. Some have a stronger faith, some have a weaker faith. And events like this. Right. Paul's saying that all of us have a different level of faith, strong, weaker, and events like this does tend to bring out just how strong or weak uh, that faith is. And that is one of the big points of Job. And so um, it is true she's suffering, but God has a message for her and Job, and that is that he is bigger than any else taking place on earth. He's bigger than our suffering. He is bigger than anything that is taking place either around us or in us or whatsoever. It's one of the big things about Job. So she has a question. Will you still, do you still retain your integrity as if that's incredible to her that he is or maybe even ridiculous to her that he is. And then her statement is curse God and die. Curse God and die. The word curse here means to renounce. Renounce God. It means to dismiss Him. Or to cut all ties with Him. So it seems, in looking at the definition of the word curse, it seems like she has put Job and God in one corner and herself in another corner. Are you still maintaining your faith in that God of yours? You need to go ahead and dismiss him. You need to say goodbye to him. Look at all that he's done to you. You need to say goodbye. You need to cut your ties with him. Be done with him. Get rid of him. She understands Job has always served God. And he's still doing it. She says, it is now time for you to dismiss him. Curse God and die. making a good point, and that is um, in every situation uh, we choose to either be defeated by Satan 
or we choose in that situation to grow with God. And Job obviously is choosing to grow with God, even though he has some struggles. But it seems like his wife has chosen to be defeated uh, by uh, the situation. Okay. She's looking for someone to blame? Okay. Maybe she's looking for someone to blame. It could be that she's saying it like this. She's saying curse God and die in the sense that uh, why don't you, if, if, she can get, if she can get Job to go ahead and curse God and curse God out loud, maybe she's thinking that God will go ahead and finish him off and put him out of his misery because what she sees before her is just a pile of skin and flesh and perhaps her husband was not even recognizable to her uh, as he once was. And so, um, when you read verse 10, you understand that he got it, but she didn't. There was a big difference in that book. Yeah. Ken is saying there's a huge difference between Job and his wife's faith, and that's true because that's, that's where we're headed in verse number 10 here in Job's uh, response. But notice how um, the language of Job's wife is so close to the language of Satan himself. This, is, this has been Satan's bargain all along. This has been Satan's charge all along. If you will afflict Job, he will curse. Same word. He will curse you to your face, God. And so Job's wife comes along and says, you need to do as Satan said. I mean, I don't know that she's talking to Satan or anything, but she, her language is reflecting Satan's language. And most likely her philosophy is reflecting Satan's philosophy, or at least Satan's um, thought, which is that these people of yours, God, they will serve you only in good times. They will not serve you in bad times. Their faith is not strong enough to serve you in bad times. And she is following Satan's words, and she seems to be following his very philosophy, or at least his thought in regard to these human beings. We need to be careful that our own words do not reflect Satan's words. A lot of times Satan's words come through other human beings. Words of doubt, words of worry, and words of false ideals. We must study and we must maintain our integrity so that we won't start reflecting the very ideals and words of Satan ourselves. Alright, so verse 9 there, uh, speaking of uh, Job's wife and her response uh, to these things. Certainly, we know that she's hurting, uh, but uh, she is in one corner uh, with her faith, and she does not have the high spiritual uh, caliber of faith that, that Job has. So let's look at his response now, uh, here in verse 10. I want you to notice, first of all, his self-control. His self-control. It is it's rather common in households, even among Christian households, that if one mate lashes out, then that's going to touch a nerve of the other mate, and then he's going to lash back. But I want you to notice this man, Job, I want you to notice his self-control. Remarkable self-control. He brings it back down. He brings the conversation around to faith. To faith. 
So what's the first thing Job says to her? He makes a statement and then a question. What, what's his statement to her? Yeah, you speak as one of the foolish women. Okay, as we define the word integrity, what about the word foolish? What other words would you put to, to describe the word foolish? Okay. Uneducated, unwilling to learn. Okay. What else would you say? That's good. What would you say about the word foolish? Okay. Okay, Miss Miss Kay saying not thinking things through all the way through, not giving it proper uh, spiritual deep thought. All right. Foolish. So there are foolish men, but there are also foolish women. And one of the things that that Paul was uh, warning Timothy about was about certain women in Ephesus. Let's turn over to, just for a second, to 1 Timothy with, and look at chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. Yeah, who is Job... Someone else. Yeah. yeah. I've always taken that, and you guys, Paul's asking, who is Job referring to when he says, um, you speak as one of the foolish women, as if that's some, somebody else. I've always taken it that, that, you know, a husband and wife knows some really wise, godly women, but they also know some foolish women. And he's saying... Hey, you, you know those foolish women? You sound like those foolish women that we've talked about before or those the foolish women we see some, somewhere in their community or somewhere in their lives. You know? He's trying to get her to see how she sounds. Miss Julie's saying that perhaps um, Job is referred to some who would serve other gods, even the women who would serve other gods. Maybe he's referring to foolish women in that way. Um, but we also need to remember Job is probably, um, the setting of Job is probably uh, way back in the patriarchal age, patriarchal time, um, before uh, the formation of, of the nation of God. And so, um, but there would still be some idol worshipers. Around. Let's look at this uh, here in 1 Timothy 5. Notice um, Paul speaking of some godliness among women, but then he gets down to verse 6 and he presents a contrast. He said, But she who is self indulgent. 
He who, she who is selfish is dead even while she lives. There's the walking dead for you. The walking dead. She's dead while she lives. In other words, spiritually dead. Walking around, very busy, but as far as service to God, a very foolish uh, woman. Then look at First uh, Timothy 5, uh, 13. Uh, besides that, uh, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, tattlers, saying things which they should not. So I would that younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary, Satan, no occasion for a slander. But some have already strayed after Satan. So there are foolish women back in Job's day, but also foolish women that Paul was warning Timothy about um, here in uh, the region of Ephesus uh, as well. Look over to 2 Timothy 3, also in uh, verse 6. Paul said uh, concerning some foolish people, he said, Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And so uh, there is something similar to what Kay was saying. Foolish folks will uh, not give things a, a complete thought, not study it out, and, learn, and then end up making uh, foolish decisions. What are some other type of people the Bible calls fools? You have, you have listened to... Do what? Yeah, the fool doesn't believe in God. Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What are other types of people the Bible calls fools? That very good. Matthew seven, case talking about those who hear the sayings of Christ and do not do them. Christ says, "I will liken him unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And rain descended, and floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and, and great was the fall of it." Okay, good. That man Jesus speaks of in the story in Luke twelve fifteen, uh, who was all wrapped up in his possessions. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, whose possessions would this be? Thou fool, it says, this night your soul will be required of you. So a lot of different uh, ways in which the Bible speaks of fools. That makes for an interesting study if you want to just take your concordance and look at that. Okay. Alright, so Job has a statement for her, and that is, you speak as one of the foolish women, and then what was... Um, what was Job's question to her? What is Job's question to his wife? So are we going to have only good from God and not accept the worst we offer? Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not receive evil? Job is fighting this, this philosophy that his friends will uh, bring to the forefront as well that if you, are, if you are righteous, then you will always be prosperous, but if you are sinning, 
Or if you're suffering, then that means that you're sinning. And Job did not buy into that whatsoever. Why, why would Job look out on life and say, we're going to receive both good and evil? Why would he do that? What, what would be in his mind to be able to say that? Julie says we live in a fallen world. Okay, who wants want to expand on that? Um, that's pretty much true. I mean, it's pretty much right. Um, but one man's sin entered into the world, Romans 5.12, death through sin. In this world, there's going to be both good and evil. And it teaches us that, and Job understood, we're, we're not in heaven on this earth. We're not in heaven. We're not... We shouldn't be busy trying to make earth heaven. Heaven is yet to be. Heaven comes after this life, not during this life. And so we should expect... Yeah, Mark's saying that probably Job had the example of Noah and his faith that he could uh, look back on or at least have uh, heard about. Mike's saying we had it good until Adam and Eve sinned, and that was pretty early on. Ever since then, this, this, we should receive, we should expect to receive uh, good and evil in this world. Notice the word receive there. That's, a, that's the most important word there in Job's question, most likely. Shall we receive? The word receive there is a humble, patient receiving. And that's why I, I'm just so impressed with Job's self-control here. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, have a tirade against his wife, but just kind of brings her back to the foundation of faith. And God's, God is in control here. He's created this world. We are sinners. We're sinners. So Paul's first question is, um, without adversity in your life, how, how do you know how strong your faith is? Okay. And then your second question is, um, how do you develop that type of faith? How do we get to uh, the faith at which we're at right now and how do we uh, grow that faith? Let's tackle that first question. Is there a way to know if your faith is strong without adversity? 
Not really, right? No. Ken says no. If everything was perfect, we'd still be in the garden. So there's going to be adversity, there's going to be challenges. So, so in your statement, adversity, are you just referring to the type of calamity that Job experienced or, or anything? Either way, uh, adversity can come through calamity, like Job's experience in here, but also adversity can come through the temptations of Satan, which comes to all of us. And so either way, our faith is going to be tested and grow stronger through whether it's a trial of temptation or a trial of adversity and calamity or a mixture of all of that. It, it takes adversity to grow your faith. It takes several factors to grow your faith. Prayer, the Word of God, a fellowship, worship, serving God, uh, but adversity is part of it. Would adversity be a test of your faith also? Yeah, it's testing your faith. God tests our faith. The trying of your faith, James 1 verse 2. The trying of your faith works patience, endurance. Good point, Mike. How strong Job was in enduring uh, these trials. Don't forget James 5, 10, and 11 as you think about what Job asked his wife here. Shall we receive good and not evil? And James 5, 10, and 11 talks about the patience of Job and how he endured. Part of that is how he received all of this. The, the how would you do it? Think about the hearing of the news of your children. Hearing of the news of the loss of your, your fortunes. And then enduring this, these health afflictions 
How would you respond? How would you receive this? The, the humble, patient receiving and self-control that Job uses here is um, quite impressive to me. Except. Except. In Job's question to his wife, are we going to accept good and not accept the adversity? Right. Okay, saying so in the New King James, the word accept, A C C E P T, accept is used instead of receive. Are we going to accept good and not accept evil? We as a people, we have no problem with the good part. We have no problem. Uh, but it's the testing of our faith, as Ida said, is where really is what's going to bring a strong faith, but we, we shy away from that sometimes. Okay. All right, let's think about, um, let's, let's jump over to this the last five minutes here. Uh, let's, let's think about uh, what we learn from this in, in regards to marriage. In regards to marriage. Um, one question comes up why why do godly men get mismatched how, how is it that a godly man like Job has a wife who doesn't have the same uh, spiritual status that he has how does this happen and maybe it's just not, a, not an answer to that uh, but there really is a lesson behind that that is, we want our young folks to marry strong in the faith. Strong in the faith. That's, that's, um, that has to be a huge lesson here um, from Job and Job's wife. Job and Mrs. Job. Um, so, he may have married somebody to convert. He may have married her to convert. You see how that works. So, uh, it wasn't as strong as him. I mean, everything they went through, their lives were obliterated. And maybe he knew that her faith wasn't as strong as his all along when he married her, that she was a godly woman, but she just wasn't at the level he was. And he knew that as the head of the household, that's his job to make sure that she learned. The second part of this is that the most important thing you can do for the home and the marriage is to have a strong faith. That's the most. Job's wife was not ready to help. She was unprepared for this calamity. And so it, it kind of revolves back around to Paul's question. How do we, how do we get to that point? to where we are ready to meet the, not only the daily challenges, but even the, the uh, more tragic challenges of life. How do we, how do we get there to where uh, Job's wife should have been? Um, how, how do we get there? That's, that's a big one.
tell me them bad days are coming to get ready for them. As parents, we got a responsibility and obligation to encourage our, our kids. Well, I don't know how long we've been married, but they've been married long enough to have these one kids. When you first get married, you've got to really work on that. That's probably the last thing on your mind. Something you've got to discipline yourself to create in your family life. A lot of it has to do with how we receive uh, God's Word because Jesus, given the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, He speaks of the reception of the Word and particularly in uh, verse 20, Matthew 13, 20, He says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, uh, this is the one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately he falls away. So the way the word is received initially has a lot to do with how enduring our faith will be in many, many cases. For the, for the Job, Mrs. Job, it seems like first, you know, let's try to help our young folks marry strong in the faith. And then secondly, let's be sure to know that the best thing we can do for our home is to have a personal strong faith that our spiritual roots will grow deep and that, our, that, that we receive God's Word uh, in a personal and a very uh, deep way, thinking things through. Okay. And then the third thing is to remember that, that God designed husbands and wives to help each other go to heaven. Job was to help his wife go to heaven, and Job's wife was to help Job go to heaven. And God is disappointed when that, that is uh, a failure of that type happens. Uh, so we need to uh, regard uh, that as well. David, I think it's very important for us to know as long as we're living on this earth, there's going to be good and bad times for most people. And you, your faith should carry you through both of them if it's the right thing. Okay. Brother Benton saying, you know, while we're on this earth, there's going to be good and bad times, and our faith should carry us through in both through both of those circumstances. So very true. That's a good statement. And there's something that I think that we miss in trying to talk about Job completely. We don't ever think about the fact that he was still faithful during all his blessings. But you look at our world today, most people that are that successful have no place for God. All right. Excellent point. We never talk about that. Yeah, That's excellent point. Ken's making the point that Job was faithful in all his blessings. He was still faithful. And in most cases, and it's just a, it's just a sad commentary on life, but it's in most cases, with that kind of riches, those types of riches, uh, they find no place in their life for God. Okay. So that's, that's true. Okay. It's not a, oh, well, we don't have to do that. That's a necessity. Okay. So another way Mike is 
referring to how to build spiritual depth is to remember the Peter's remarks concerning the Christian virtues, grace, graces, there in Second Peter uh, 1, add those uh, to your faith. So at the end of this, in verse um, 10, the comment is made, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. In all of this. And we know that he had some struggles later on as he, as he questions. But his, his questioning toward God came, came out of a great deal of pain. Whereas Job's friends came and they, they were almost attacking Job and they had no pain. So God recognized uh, the faithfulness of Job. And all this he did not sin with his lips. And also notice in Job 1.22, in all of this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Or charge God wrongly in any way. Okay, go ahead, brother. Larry's saying that these, going relating to what Kim was saying, Larry's saying these riches that we have, the blessings that we have, are also a test of faith. We don't look at them. We look at that as a good part of life, but they're also, they're also a test of faith. And uh, it's a challenge. And it's a test of Job's faith that he remained true. Thank you very much uh, for uh, these remarks. And um, we'll continue some of these thoughts later on. But right now, we'll have a devotional in about two or three minutes. Um, we'll have an invitation song. Andrew's going to lead us in a devotional thought. And then we'll have an invitation song. And then we'll have our announcements and some closing remarks.